What's going on, listeners? Welcome to the latest episode of Can I Kick It FC, your number one podcast for all things black history. And it's joining me is the voice, the smooth, collective voice of the, well, not news team at MLS, but the news team last year. Austin FC is Mr. Mike LaHood. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. Just going through transition. 2022, I thought 2020, 2021, there were years of transition. But 2022, the transition just keeps on giving. But uh, overall, doing well. It does. It is the year that keeps on giving. <laughs> I, also, I want you to know that I was practicing very hard to get your last name right. So did yeah. I get it right? <laughs> oh, you, you knocked it out of the park, man. You put it upper 90, top bins. <laughs> but, but, but that's all it works, man. Um, but yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. You're a guest that we've been wanting to have on for a while. Um, so I guess I'll go ahead and kind of dive into the questions I have for you. Um, mm-hmm. One of the first questions is, how did you get started in soccer? How did you fall in love with the game? The the running joke in my family is that I was born, I came out of the womb with a ball in my feet. So I I loved the game since I was born. And I'm originally from West Africa in Sierra Leone. You may have recently heard of them from a competition called the African Cup of Nations. Shout out to the Leone Stars, Sierra Leone, proud. <laughs> but um, I, I, I grew up in a soccer-loving, soccer-appreciating country and family. Um, I remember going out and playing on the streets. And that, that's where I, I really learned the game. And, and you know, on the streets is where you learn. This. It's a school of hard knocks. And also, it's the school of the beautiful game. So, you know, it, it, it's one of the things I, I love doing. A lot of fond memories being back in Africa. Where, um, so I was doing my research on you because you know I want to do my research for my interview guest. <laughs> um, and I saw that you actually played for Leon, Leon's national team as well. How was that experience? It, it was it was the adventure of a lifetime. <laughs> there's there's a running joke in Africa called um, the, the acronyms are TIA. Uh, this is Africa, which means anything that can happen in the midst of 90 minutes or in the midst of any qualifying round will happen. You saw it in the AFCON tournament, referees calling the game way too early, uh, coaches losing their mind. It's got more drama than a telenovela, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> it, there, there was a lot of drama in AFCON. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. <laughs> And I guess you're the kind of the perfect question to ask about this. Um, as being an announcer working in media, how disappointed or what were your thoughts about BN's coverage of AFCON? Um, one, I'm I'm always grateful. I, I try and go from a place of gratitude first. Um, and that's that's the thing in media. I, I personally always try and steer away from is the the, the negative dialogue. Um, there, there's a difference between negativity for the sake of negativity and criticism. So from the place of gratitude, I'm grateful that AFCON is getting coverage. First and foremost, I'm grateful that I've waited 30 plus years to watch my home country, uh, country of my birth compete in this tournament. So I'm grateful that, that there were outlets to watch it. Now comes the criticism part. I think it can be better. It needs to be better. There there are games that some games you only had just a play-by-play guy, no color analyst. I'd like to see AFCON and the tournament itself get the respect that it deserves. Some of the biggest players in the world, arguably the best player in the world right now, plays for Liverpool. Lewandowski plays for Bayern. Karim Benzema is doing his thing in Madrid. 
but Mohamed Salah is one of the best players in the world. This is the big stage. If this was the CONCACAF Gold Cup, we'd be having you know, all access coverage. But it's disappointing to see, even at this stage, that AFCON isn't still getting love and respect that it deserves. But I hope that changes in the next tournament, as early as the next tournament, that is. Yeah, that's something I did see a lot of how uh, the coverage of this tournament compared it to like a Gold Cup or to a Euros. It just mm-hmm. seemed as if like being was like, all right, we're just going to put the games on and give you a commercial break here throughout. But, <laughs> it did, you know, I, I feel you. Like the build up to some of the games was just kind of lacking. And there were a lot of wonderful games that have gone this year. Yeah. So what I what I did to kind of supersede some of the coverages I was disappointed in, I went and I just streamed games from across the pond. <laughs> and uh, I'm not going to say how I got access to BT Sports. I'm not going to out my guy. But there you go. There you go. There you go. <laughs> um, but I, I loved what the UK, even outlets in Africa. Um, there, there's a there's a Algerian journalist, Mahir Manzani. If you if you've never followed him before, you need to follow him. He's a great follower. He's naturally gifted in, in just soccer media. But he, it, it was powerful to see his outlets in Algeria, across North Africa, the BBC in the UK, throughout Europe, sending him to AFCON <laughs> to see people from the BBC, to see BT Sports, to see Super Sport. Um, who they typically give a lot of coverage, but they did it big. And I mean, this, this is, you have the Euros, you have Copa America, and AFCON is the third biggest tournament in the world, ahead of, ahead of uh, the CONCACAF Gold Cup, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, no, that, that's a very fair point. I mean, like we said, we're everywhere. So AFCON is probably going to be the biggest uh, tournament out there, possibly, because I know here in Richmond, when Senegal won, like half of Richmond was outside partying on Broad Street. I'm telling you, so you've seen all the videos of from Senegal, Harlem. Oh, yeah. Who? I mean, you saw Senegalese people doing the Harlem Shake. Like what? <laughs> it, it was popping off, and obviously in Dakar. Oh, I've, I've been to Dakar a couple of times. I can tell you, the times I've been to Dakar was definitely sleeping when I was there. It, it seemed like everyone came from every corner of Senegal. To celebrate that historic victory, I can believe it. That is a historic victory for Senegal, definitely. Um, so transitioning a little bit to your announcement—I mean, not announcement—your career in soccer media and stuff like that. How did you get started after your playing career? Because that's not interesting. Oof, it is is definitely a journey. So (laughs) the the most difficult thing that I remember, and it mind you, it was 2020 when I retired. But the most difficult thing that I wrestled with was identity crisis. Every soccer player, every person that goes through retirement of any kind, especially in sports, goes through some sort of identity crisis. Because for my entire life, soccer and and playing soccer, that was what I did. But it was also who I was. It was a big part of who I was. No one tells you that when you retire that you have to book your own flights. And I, I did it for my own travel. But it was a, a, just such a harsh reality of welcome to the real world. <laughs> um, I have such great appreciation for all the team admins <laughs> that I've ever worked with that get you, uh, you know, that, that think ahead and just take away so many of the coaches would call them distractions, but day-to-day 
issues, responsibilities that you have to think of. So you could focus on just playing the game. Yeah. Now, 2020 hit a lot of things were changing. Most notably, oh yeah, a pandemic was just crippling the world. And I was on the cusp of making this decision of what are my other interests outside of soccer? And I remember uh, that winter before in 2019, I was spending my off season in, in Southern California. And I remember waking up every off season, I'd wake up and I, I used to pride myself on getting up and working harder than everyone else in the league. And now if I actually did, I don't know, but in my mind, that was my motivation. I'm going to put in the work now so I could see the fruits of my labor throughout the season. If I showed up to preseason trying to play catch up, it was too late. Mm -hmm. So I woke up and that fire that was in my, in my belly, I felt it going out and my alarm went off 7 a.m. Pacific time. Hello, and welcome to episode 36 of Shea Butter FC, a podcast by, for, and about Black women in soccer, featuring your hosts, Sky and Sylves. This week, we talk with Jake and Phil of Chicago Black Fires, a Black supporters group for fans of the Chicago Red Stars and Chicago Fire. We explore SBFC Brown Sugar But Soccer, where we discuss their love of the game and how they form their group. Then, in SBFC Pimp My Squad, we look at the importance of supporters groups like Chicago Black Fires and the impact on their Chicago community. Then we delve into SBFC Get You Fits Right, which explores the intersections of soccer and Black culture and what they'd like to see for the Red Stars in the future. Then we get into Shea Butter Freestyles, where we explore more hot takes and fun topics, including the infamous poll FC votes. Lastly, we end with our hits and riffs and rants and raves of the week. Please check out Chicago Black Fires on Twitter at fires underscore black and Instagram at blackfiresoccer. Don't forget to follow Shea Butter FC on Twitter and Instagram at sbfc underscore podcast and hit up our website at www.sheabutterfc.com. As always, don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate the show on your favorite platforms. Until next time, we'll see you when we see you. And instead of getting up, putting on my shoes, the thought of getting up to go train, and I, I remember it very well. Uh, it started two years ago in 2020, really in, in 2019, where I was in Los Angeles and every off season, I would spend my off seasons in Southern California. And I prided myself when I played on the work I put in when no one was looking. And really it was the off season workouts that I knew that if I put the work in, during the off season, no one was going to beat me. Whether that actually happened, that was another thing on the field, but the mentality shift started for preparing for a season every off season. I remember in December, it was January actually of 2020, I woke up and the alarm went off. And rather than getting my shoes, like I, I typically do to go out and train, I turned the alarm off and went right back to bed. And that's when I knew something in me went away. And I couldn't put words to it, but the fire had gone out. And I, the, the irony of it is that 
at the time I'd been, I turned on the news. I, I was scared because I didn't know what to do. It never happened to me. And I went and turned on the news and it was a replay of Kobe Bryant, the late Kobe Bryant, um, giving an interview about why he retired and the things he, he learned at the time. And Kobe said two things made him retire. One, it wasn't just that his body couldn't take it anymore. Injuries, he couldn't move the same way. But the biggest thing was he woke up one morning and very similarly, that drive that had pushed him for decades to be one of the greatest of all time wasn't there. And he wanted to go do something else. His passion had changed. I didn't know it then, but the same thing had happened to me. My passion started changing. And a lot of life things started happening. I, I met my soon-to-be wife at the time. Uh, I was very aware of that. <laughs> um, and so I moved back to San Antonio, decided to settle in, in San Antonio in Central Texas. And I, through, through a process of uh, almost like these rites of passage that I didn't know they were happening, the, the yellow brick road is being put in front of me. I remember sitting down with this guy named Eric Williamson, and he uh, was a former NBA marketing exec for the Portland uh, Trailblazers. And I didn't tell Eric anything about my story or anything about where I came from. I walked in the door and we sat down. And the first thing out of Eric's mouth was, do you know what you'd be perfect for? And I was like, what? He goes, broadcasting. I kind of cocked my head and I said, you don't like, what? you don't, you don't even really know me. He goes, well, I, I feel like I, I kind of do. There's something about you that I connect with and you're not asking, but if you are, you're it broadcasting. So I walked out of that meeting and thought, what are the odds of this? What was this guy on? But something in me also knew that the seed had been planted for something bigger. So I walked out and then I, I had this burning fire, this new fire, this flame started coming alive again. And so I went through my phone and I reached out to every single person in my phone just to tell them that I was thinking about retiring. And I started taking informationals of former players, former teammates. What does it look like? What'd you go through? What did it look like when you retired? What are things you wish you knew that you know now that you wish you knew then? And in that process and, and really that trial and error process, I, I came across a former coworker of mine in Cincinnati and I, I made the difficult decision of announcing my retirement. And as soon as I announced my retirement, she reached out and she said, Hey, I've always thought that you'd be really good at this one thing. And I was like, Oh, what was it? She goes broadcasting. <laughs> so here's this haunting thing of broadcasting following me around and former teammates thought, Oh, I thought you would always be good at broadcasting. So before I knew it, she said, I think you'd be really good for this new team coming in Austin FC. If you're in Texas, you should, you should apply, uh, for this whole broadcast color analyst position. Mind you, the position was months <laughs> into the making. I was probably, I felt like, and I know that for a fact now that it wasn't, but in my mind, I, I felt like I was late to the party and I was putting my name in the hat. So through the whole hiring process, I just really was myself and I stuck to what I knew was that my reason for playing, my reason for being a professional athlete was never about money. 
It was never about fame. It was because I love this game. I love it with all my heart and all my soul. And I did my best to just express that in the process. And I must have said a few things, right? Because <laughs> here we are, year two, going in with Austin FC. Yeah, I mean, definitely did. And, I mean, to my knowledge, and now granted, I'm someone that's just steadily learning about MLS. Um, <laughs> to my knowledge, there's not that many commentators that are people of color. I might yeah. be wrong in that statement, but to my knowledge. So being in that, what does that make you feel as if like you're one of the first to kind of come through and break mm -hmm. down the wall, as we would say in our community? Well, thank you for, for saying that. I <laughs> When I thought about broadcasting, when that, that invitation into the industry came in the form of an Eric Williamson, in the form of mentors and former teammates, that was one of my biggest motivators was I, I wanted to be different. I didn't want to, like I said before, I didn't, I don't believe in negative media. I, because I was a former player, no player needs to be told how much they sucked on any given night. Every person, even as a human being, you know, when you make a mistake, so you don't need some guy sitting on a podium to say, or on a, a panel to say, oh, that guy, oh man, that guy, Lahoud, he really stunk tonight. Well, gee, thanks dude. I already, I already feel that way. So my whole family's watching. Thank you. So that was one motivator, but a bigger motivator was, I don't, I don't know really if it was intrinsic or but probably a combination of that intrinsic, but also, you know, just through being learned by really good mentors and friends that, that have helped create a foundation for me. I, I really believe in uh, being a flag bearer for good and being a flag bearer for something bigger than yourself. And in the industry, there's a part of me that was somewhat aware, not to the extent of what you just said, of really breaking and, and pushing barriers for people of color. But I was motivated and inspired by the thought of that. And I, I just wanted to do things differently. I, I wanted to change, and I still want to change, how people see people of color in front of a camera by how I talk about things, by words I use. Um, and at the end of the day, getting excited is still getting excited, no matter how intelligent you, you try to sound. It just, I wanted to exude the passion that my friends had heard me for years, probably rolling their eyes, talking about soccer, like this guy just keeps talking about soccer. And here's this chance to finally do it. And to be able to do it for a career, it, it's a dream come true. Yeah, no, I, I mean, my head definitely goes off to you because Growing up, I think what outside of maybe a couple of guys in football and basketball, definitely you never really saw a band of color speak about the game of soccer. You know, we were always being spoken about, and it's kind of mm -hmm. like how these processes are kind of going. Like we kind of be players, and then we're starting to break barriers, and becoming like assistant head coaches, and then head coaches, and you know, commentators in the game, and you know, definitely for what you're doing, I have massive respect for it because it's not an easy thing to do. And, and something you alluded to that I really want to ask you about is you said that when you made the transition from being a player to a commentator, you really had to sit there and kind of figure out, like, are you being an imposter in, in the, in that circle? Um, mm -hmm. And that's something that a lot of us in smaller soccer media that are black or Brown or Latin, we kind of deal with sometimes. So, so can you just speak upon that? Like how 
not only did you yeah. overcome your imposter syndrome, but how can others overcome theirs as well? I that, that's I, I love that question first and foremost because it's 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 very humbling to talk about because <laughs> a lot of people think that you you just get in front of the camera or you get to a certain level and it's like oh this guy just does it. I know I thought about that of every player <laughs> I'd see at the highest level. I'm watching Manchester United today. I definitely don't think that watching their team right now, but that's a different story. Oh no, I feel you on that. <laughs> yeah. So I I sought help in the form of a media coach, and I still work with him today. A guy, he's gonna, be, I know he's gonna be like, why'd you mention my name? But a, a guy, I'm gonna do it anyway. Shaw Brown, he's he's a legend in the industry, and he was a guy who he still mentors me today. But I I reached out to him, and we were connected by some mutual friends. And I tra I transferred that that work ethic that helped me be successful, that preseason mentality. I tried to bring that long before Austin FC came to fruition. I tried to bring that work ethic to broadcasting media that no one was gonna work harder than me. No one was gonna put in the hours. No one was gonna make the phone calls. No one was gonna be as persistent. And I called everyone and I didn't call everyone begging for a chance. I called everyone just to talk soccer and just to, and I would watch so many people and it was watching the Jamie characters of the world or Gary Neville's all the way down to a Moadu, a guy who I played with another person of color who seeing the likes of a Moadu doing it before me or Charlie Davies. These are guys I reached out to and just try to encourage them and saying, Hey, thank you for what you do. Keep going. How did you do this? What, what type of work do you put in? How often do you watch games? What does it take to get into the industry? And what does it take to continue to be successful once you get there? So I, I, I love asking people questions. I'm very curious. And I brought that curiosity into this industry. Now, that imposter syndrome, um, it's something that I still am learning how to shed it's something I battled when I played, especially when you start achieving things and you start achieving them quickly. Gosh, I retired two years ago and I never would have thought when I retired that I'd be working for a club like Austin FC. And it was the job I wanted after retiring. And I, I worked hard and I got it. A big thing that, that's helped me and continues to help me with imposter syndrome is communicating out loud of when I feel imposter syndrome. I feel like an imposter communicating to my fiance, my closest friends, my confidants, my media coach, people who are in my corner. Number one, I highly recommend communicate how you feel. It, it, is, it is part of your wellness wheel. It is part of your mental health first. And, and two, it's another a, a coach that I, another coach that I work with said this to me, that not every game has to be a 10 out of 10. Just like when I played, I got to a point when you're a veteran, you know that you're not going to be a 10 out of 10 every game of the year. But consistency, can you be consistent and can you be happy with the performance that you have on any given day and know that it's part of a larger process? And that experience and that acceptance of not every broadcast is going to be a 10 out of 10. There's going to be broadcasts that aren't my best, but how do I respond to the next one? How do I learn? How do I grow from it? And shedding that level of expectation of because I'm a person of color. And I didn't know that's what really, there, there's that 
unspoken thing behind that. Because I'm a person of color, I can't mess up. I don't have as much leeway. I don't have as much rope. And it was shedding that and continuing to shed that of, oh, wow, what an amazing opportunity I have to break barriers. I wonder how much better I can get, even if this isn't my best broadcast. And that was a shift in perspective and it continues to be a shift in perspective. Yeah, I, that's that's a very strong point because that's something that we live through every day of you know, feeling as if, and obviously you see it in Texas with the Houston Texans and things like that of mm-hmm. how much rope do I have? How, you know, mm-hmm. I have to, look, for instance, we'll talk about the Houston Texans, um, the head coach down there, you know, took a team that was going through everything and, you know, ended the season pretty well and got let go because of it. And, but you yeah. see other coaches like those in New York or, uh, you know, Jacksonville, where they're kind of debating whether or not, like, oh, should we let them go? Should we keep them? But even working through that, and I assume that you put in tons and tons of work, is always that feeling in the back of your head. So it's good to hear how you over, overcome and combat those feelings. Yeah, it, you know, just to, to touch on what's happening throughout sports, it's not just the NFL, but sports is going through a major overhaul in ways that it, it had never gone through before. And I think, you know, what happened with George Floyd, as we talk about Black History Month, it's not just the MLKs, it's not just the Malcolm X, it's it's the people who've lost their lives along the way and, and sacrifice and and become martyrs of sorts for something good and the the george floyd's lives are not in vain unless we if if we are if we're we have to be the ones if you will who pick up the torch and carry on the message of hey change needs to continue to happen it it, in, in media in particular you talk about not knowing not not being able to relate to someone who doesn't look like you one of my media heroes i i've never talked about this on camera one of my my media heroes isn't a soccer broadcaster it's it's a person of color it's doug glanville oh okay so doug glanville is a former baseball player he if he's not already will be a hall of famer and doug glanville is a writer He's an adjunct professor. He's a color analyst for ESPN. And he, he, he's a philanthropist. He does it all. He, 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 what he does transcends the microphone. It transcends baseball. It transcends the color of his skin. And when I saw him do that and I read his story and how he, he's gotten to where he is and, and what he continues to do, I looked and I said, I might play a different sport, but I want to be that guy. That's the footsteps I want to follow through the path of soccer. Yeah. No, that's that's amazing, man. That's amazing to hear. You yeah. know, yeah. I, you might not think you're an inspiration to people, but you, you definitely <laughs> are the way how you do stuff, man. No, it's, it's thank thank you. Um, so I want to ask you, uh, how did you go about, applying for the Austin FC job and what's the kind of preparation that goes into it? What's kind of like the mental grind of it? Well, so applying for the job, I, one, when you talk about the being in either lower, lower league media or lower level media in terms of the soccer tier, and <laughs> yeah. the, the greatest equalizer for that is, has been the pandemic. <laughs> everyone, everyone now 
has a voice in a way that they didn't before. And yeah. I didn't know this as a player because I was still playing, but the media world I've walked into, it is, we talked about this offline, to be seeing things about black culture in American soccer, I was like, yo, <laughs> <laughs> yes. These are things as players we talked about. And to see that there's this growing movement that's been there and now the voices are being heard and there's platforms being opened up. The time is now. And during, when COVID first started, a buddy of mine said this, crisis breeds creativity, crisis breeds innovation, and crisis breeds opportunity. The people who have invested in those things and believe in those things, yes, the pandemic has been tragic. And it's, I would not, I would, I could not ever imagine something like this. I don't think any of us could, but there has been good in terms of media and opportunity that have come about. I'm a, I'm a living testament to that. Mm -hmm. And through that process for Austin FC, I said, I put my hat in the rink when I don't know if many people gave me a chance or even thought about that. I just retired and I put my name in the hat, but I believe in the beautiful game. I'm, I'm a soccer enthusiast. I'm a soccer romantic. I love this game. And I'm very passionate about growing this game, not just in the United States, but here in Texas and in the communities I'm a part of. I've gotten to be a part of a lot of amazing communities, but there's a reason why I decided to settle here in Texas. And to, to have a club like Austin FC um, say things like the words flag bearer, those, those are words that resonate with me as a human being that I believe that we are all flag bearers for something bigger than ourselves. And during the, during the, geez, I'm talking about retirement. I said during the <laughs> retirement process, during the hiring process, we, we just had really genuine human conversations. It, it, we really didn't talk about, okay, if this play comes up, what's your thoughts? How would you call it? That didn't go into anything. It was, what do you stand for? Those were the questions, and that's what set Austin FC apart in the, in the hiring process and continues to set the club apart. Yes, Q2 Stadium is awesome, but you know, when they say Verde and Listos, that it's, it's the first club I've come across where Verde, Verde is more than just a vibe. It, it's a language. It's an unspoken you – know, it is a spoken language, but it's, it's a code, I should say, unspoken code, that when you see someone with the crest – you know, if you know, you know, sort of thing. And in terms of the job itself, oh man, there, <laughs> I'm, there's three phases when you are in a career or doing something new. It's um, role taking, which you're just starting out. So you're learning as you go, there's bumps in the road. Sometimes you have good days, sometimes you have average days. There's role creating where you're, you're starting to learn to put your own little twist on things and, but you're still learning as you go. And there's role doing where you are Stuart Scott, you, you are the M E T H O D man. And I'm, I'm definitely in that space of still role taking, but there's little nuances that I'm learning in year two for role creating little spins. And a big lesson I, I'm also learning is it, it takes time to find your voice in any medium, especially in sports broadcasting. Everyone wants to sound unique, everyone wants to be different, but at the end of the day, that you are the only you that exists on this planet. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no, that's a hundred percent true. Um, finding your own voice and it kind of like everything is blended together when we're all talking about with from the process syndrome to finding your own voice, uh, things like that. I hope I'm not taking up too much of that because I got like no, no more questions. No, <laughs> actually, this, I love this conversation. <laughs> uh, I, I want to ask you this question about. Austin FC, what, what were some memorable moments that stood out to you this year? Obviously, this was mm-hmm. the club's first ever year in existence. Um, what, what are some memorable moments that stuck out to you? Oof, you call? There's definitely – so, memorable moment, I the first game. And so, the, the first game of the season, that's when you see it and it's like, okay, whoa, this, there's actually a major league soccer team. There's a professional team in Austin – so Austin FC is the first ever professional team, the first ever major league team, I should say, in the city of Austin. Wow. Mind you, Austin is a behemoth. It, it is the city on the rise. I won't say city on the hill because that's kind of like a, you know, noses up sort of thing. And that's not what Austin's <laughs> about. It is a city on the rise. It, it is, it's not just keep Austin weird. It's come one, come all. Everyone's flocking to Austin for one reason or another, whether it's food, music, art, and now soccer, <laughs> which is, is so cool to, to be able to say that in the midst of everything. And so that first game against LAFC, to see the team, to see the colors out there, that was pretty memorable. In terms of calling a game on air, first win. It was our, our, our first television game. It, we dubbed it Denver Day, Los Verdes, the, and Austin Anthem, the, the big Austin FC supporters groups. They put it out there in the ether and they said, we're going to go to Colorado and we're going to take over Colorado and we're going to, we're going to paint it Denver day. So (laughs) true to their word, they took over, came by the hundreds, sat at Dick's Sporting Goods um, stadium and pushed and willed the team on from a, to, to a come from behind victory to win three to one against a Colorado team that went on to be number one in the Western conference under Robin Brazier. And it was incredible. I remember that feeling of the first half where Colorado was all over the team and you're thinking, Oh man, the expansion woes. And then second half, it was a completely different Austin FC team, three goals, just lightning strike goals. And to see the fans screaming Verde and Listos, that, that, that's where, that's where things started really coming alive of, Oh, I'm, I'm, I feel so grateful to be a part of something. There, there's something happening here. And as I look later in the season, my personal favorite game was the last game, the last home game of the regular season against Sporting Kansas City. Austin FC matched up so well against SKC throughout the year. SKC, they, they ended the season more sputtering in manner than they were in the middle of the season where they were one of the hottest teams in MLS. But it was a damp, cold night in central Texas where you, you didn't think you weren't sure if many fans were going to come because it's cold. It's damp. It's got that English weather and the stadium on a, on a midweek on a Wednesday night and the stadium was rocking. It, it was almost a full house. The team plays some of its best footy of the season and beats sporting Kansas city handedly. They beat them three, one. And he was watching a Jared Stroud get his first MLS goal in front of the, the the thousands of fans at Q2 Stadium, I was like, I remember, I felt like I almost jumped into Adrian Healy's arms at the end of the game. I was celebrating every goal as if I was a player. 
Oh man, that's that's an amazing failure. I, I can't yeah. wait for soccer to get back because I missed that failure. Yeah. Like, what's, what's happening? Um, but yeah, man, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I really appreciate this interview with you. It's been it's been amazing and wonderful, man. Uh, thank you for having me on. I I I, I want to continue to be an advocate for black voices within the industry, and and with that, thank you for being an advocate for black voices and people of color like this matters and you know i one thing uh, shout out to the richmond kickers so i grew up in the dc area and oh, okay come I, on. yeah yeah boy on, yeah i grew up in Annandale, virginia northern virginia so i we used to drive Wait, down to richmond what part of northern, northern virginia okay i know everyone calls it nova I, I, <laughs> that was before, that was before, so i grew up before they started calling it nova so <laughs> i'm not i'm out of the times yet that capacity but so the city of richmond is unique to me because i I used to i used to go in elementary school and i would go and every year we'd go to the final four the college cup when it was in richmond and we'd have frozen pizza i mean it it would be i mean it gets cold in, in in you know virginia as you know and i remember just having hot chocolate and frozen pizza and that was one of the most memorable times that had such an impact on me because I got to see guys that I ended up playing with, a lot of the Jimmy Conrads, and even former guys that I ended up playing for, Robin Fraser, Greg Vanny. And it, it was it was so nostalgic to be back there, because I also got to experience Richmond in a, a positive capacity, because that was where we won the uh, USL regular season championship in 2008 with FC Cincinnati, was at the stadium in Richmond. So it, yeah. I, I got I got a lot of love for the city. Trust Richmond. me, I, I remember that team. <laughs> that team was cutting yeah. up everybody. <laughs> yeah, that team that team was cold, man. One one of my favorite teams of uh, felt privileged to be a part of. Oh, real quick, this question just popped in my head, so I'm sorry. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Um, you said that you played underneath Robert Fraser, and yeah, Robert Fraser, to my speculation, is one of the first of now up and coming black managers. You know, we have David Bula, yeah. uh, Peter Helm, uh, Michael Nisa out of FC Tucson, uh, and other coaches. For you, what do you think is going to be the next step within the soccer sphere of getting access to the African-American, the Caribbean, African community of trying to get more, more of us into the game and latch onto the game where we feel safe in it? Because that's kind of been a lot of people's biggest thing of, yeah, all right, I want to go to the game, but I'm kind of like the only person there, and I feel weird, and, you know, I want to celebrate this way, but am I being yeah. judged? Things like that. Yeah, it's, it, it's. I think the cornerstone of all of this is seeing people that look like you, that you can relate to in, in, in values, but there's also people that, I think, first and foremost, that look like you, that you connect with on air or as a coach that, will be the motivator to for a young you know man or woman to sit and say you know what rather than playing some of the other sports i kind of want to go into soccer and to see robin fraser succeed that will have an impact on the u.s soccer landscape to see a black coach come in and take a team a young colorado rapids team that wasn't full of stars and just get a group that was willing to play for him and fight on both sides of the ball they weren't the prettiest team. They were pragmatic, but they could beat anyone on any given day, home or away. They had one of the best away records. And they made their home stadium a fortress. 
That, that's incredible. And I, I think had Bruce Arena and New England Revolution not set the points record for Major League Soccer this year, I would have given the coach of the year to Robin Frazier because what he did with Colorado was, no matter the color of his skin, was an incredible job. Now, Robin's had a journey of his own. So Robin, he has Jamaican heritage. And so two things that come to mind and how do we get more people from the islands plugged into the game, whether on the field or off, is your, your national team success has a big say in that. So to see some of the island countries succeed in the Gold Cups, there's an influx of Jamaican players that came about in Major League Soccer and especially in USL once Jamaica started competing, going to Gold Cup finals. Going to World Cups, which has been a it's it's been a long time. No, don't and they're very due. Don't they're due. It's just know, making myself. Due. It's yeah. It's painful. <laughs> yeah, and and so that those things have to come together. But mm-hmm. off the field, and that's on the field on the competitive side. But off the field, it, it's getting more people of Jamaican heritage in front of a microphone or in front of a camera to because they can only speak to what it's like to be Jamaican. Or they can only speak to what it's like to be from the islands, just like I can speak to what it's like to be a person of color yeah. in, in a way that someone else may not be able to speak. And it it really just, like you, you said it very well at the start, it, those things, they plant the seeds for breaking down barriers. And, and most importantly in all of that is the time is now. If there's a dream that you've ever had, the time is now to pursue it. And I, and I'm not going to say, well, I, I did it. Look at me, but I, I, I wish I could sit here and tell you it's because I can call a certain play because I can predict it like Romo. I, I can't yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, however, the biggest thing that I look back on, how did I end up with Austin FC? How am I in broadcasting and media? is I just went for it. I said, why not me? And the more and more people of color that we, through soccer, through the world's game, we can use the game to say, hey, you can be anything you want to be, whether that's on the field or off the field, go for it. Like that matters. Yeah, it does. It does, man. Um, Yeah, man, that's it. I think that's a perfect point to end the podcast on, man. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> hey, I'm... I'm I'm drop mic drop. Very much so, man. Um, as always, like I was saying earlier, man, I just want to say thank you for taking the time out of your day yeah. for Hobbit on our podcast. Um, where can everyone reach you out at on the social medias? Yeah, if uh, you want to hear me blathering about more, <laughs> you can catch me on social media at Mike Lahoud. That's M I K E L A H O U D on Twitter and at Mike Lahoud for Instagram. And I think that's what, uh, I'm not on TikTok yet, but uh, I can be if you want to see me dance and do some. Uh, <laughs> some Maybe we need to see that before the game starts, like the pregame. Yeah, well, well, this this is something that I'll tease for you. I, I, I love things like this. I love just what's happening. I think soccer content and, and sports content has, the, the sky is the limit for what's possible and, and platforms. Um, you know, I, I, I want to continue to be available and accessible for things like this. And whether it's Black History Month or Juneteenth, I really 
pride myself on using my platform and the opportunities given my way to talk about these things, these things that truly matter. Yeah, man. Well, man, we thank you so much and we salute and are proud of everything you're doing in the community. Um, as always, listeners, we want to say thank you for taking the time out of your day for listening to our podcast. As always, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Can I Kick It FC. We will holler at you guys on the next episode. Be easy, be safe.